Before we open the Word of God this morning, I want to have you open your bulletins just for a moment. I want to draw your attention to the Read It selection for the month of August. The name of the book is Twelve Faithful Men. This is a book that has recently been released, edited by uh, Colin Hansen. I know that many of you know that I have a passion for church history, and one of my goals as the senior pastor at Christ Fellowship is to, to really help to create a culture where you too uh, develop a love and a passion for church history. I know that through many conversations that I've had, some of you have a hard time keeping things straight and date straight and name straight and who who was Martin Luther and who was John Calvin and who was Zwingli and who was Knox and, and where do they fit in the, the big picture in church history. This is a book that will help you to begin to accomplish that. These are, are 12 snapshots of very important uh, and godly men who have emerged over uh, the course of the last uh, several hundred years. And so if you want an overview, if you want a snapshot, I would commend that book to you. I think you'll enjoy it a great deal. Now I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we have reached a point in Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus that is of massive and critical importance. I need to be honest with you more this morning and tell you that this is a message, I don't do this often, but this is a message that I have actually delivered many times in many different venues, including here at Christ Fellowship, however, never from this pulpit. This is a message that will be familiar to any of the men who have uh, attended Ironman over the years. This is a message that I believe is desperately needed, first and foremost, for men but also for women as well. As a result, because this message is so vitally important, please understand that this is a message that you will hear again and again and again. You may hear it again from this pulpit if I think it is deemed necessary. You will certainly hear it in personal conversations. We will review these principles in Iron Men. And so, in short, this is a passage that is is a massively important passage for each of us to understand. I want to have you, with your eyes on the Word of God, stand with me as we begin to read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And notice that we see Paul shifting his attention from wives that we looked at last week in verse 22 to husbands now in verse 25. This is the Word of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because 
We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading of his word. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the the powerful lessons that we find in these few verses. I think especially today, God, of of husbands, of men who uh, have a wife and they are in need of good instruction from your word. And I pray that there would be men today who would receive encouragement from your word. There are some men who who need to be admonished from your word, that they need to be called out. A line needs to be drawn in the sand, and they need to respond appropriately. They need to respond first and foremost to you, but they need to respond obediently so that they would also love their wives as Christ loves the church. Lord, we know that apart from grace, apart from uh, gospel-enabled power, That we can never do this. We can never carry out these commands. But thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for divine enablement. And so would you you lift up the men at Christ Fellowship? Would you also bring deep encouragement to, to women, especially to wives? I pray that you would continue the process of healing marriages, of mending the fences in marriages, and that... The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be magnified here in this place. We trust you to do great things here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is an ongoing leadership crisis that has been picking up great steam ever since the fall of man. The leadership crisis is not something that has happened in the age of post-modernity. The leadership crisis is nothing that took place from, oh, roughly 1650 to 1900, the age of modernity, nor is this a leadership crisis that occurred before the days of modernism. Rather, this is a crisis that has been with us since the first couple, since the fall of man. Ever since the fall, and we began to look at this last week, ever since the fall, there has been this this tension between a man and a woman in marriage. And we began to look at the results of the curse last week, and we saw that, that women, and I want women to understand this by way of review, is that one of the chief ways that women are affected by the curse is deep down in their sinful hearts, they have this propensity to usurp the authority of their husband. If you're a woman here this morning, you say, man, pastor, you, you drove it home last week. Do you have to put the knife in my gut and and twist it even more? Well, this is the truth. If you're a woman, one of the chief results of the curse is that you deep down have this desire to usurp the rightful place of your husband and his leadership role in your marriage. Now, for the women, you can just relax now. We're done with that element, right? Because I want to look at the other side of the curse... I want to look at the other side of the curse. And I remember a pastor many years ago who described women and men like this. He said, women are like a, like a, like a, a fancy goblet. 
You know, you go to a fancy restaurant, you get that really nice... My brother and I used to like to fill the glasses with water, and you know, you, you wet your finger and... Woo! Right? You've never done that? Oh, it's so fun. Have you ever broken a glass to it? Oh. Right? But women are like that goblet, beautiful goblet. You tip that goblet, goblet over, what's going to happen? It's probably going to shatter into a thousand pieces. And so we want to be careful in the way that we approach women. You're like a goblet. You are delicate. That is how God has made you. Men, on the other hand, are like a robust coffee thermos. Right? So I have one of those coffee thermoses. My wife tells me it's not a flask, but actually it says flask, and I only put coffee in it, okay? So it's a coffee flask. Well, the other day I I opened my car door and it fell onto the ground. Guess what? Nothing happened to it. It's a coffee flask, right? They can be beat up. They can be bruised. Well, that's kind of like the men. So men, um, hopefully you're not too scared at this point, but I'm going to be have the approach of you're the coffee flask, and you, you can maybe take a little bit more than your wives. And so I want to begin by saying that the chief way the curse has affected you as men, it's really twofold, is you are either given to be a man who dominates your wife. And if you're not that kind of man, my suspicion is you know a man who's like this. You you dominate her. You're a tyrant. You're mean-spirited. And I have heard men, believe it or not, over 26 years as a pastor, I've heard men say something like this. The Bible says to submit, woman, therefore go and get me a bowl of peanuts. You're like, wow. Woman, submit. If, if you're like that, guys, that, that is not the model of biblical leadership. You are to not dominate your wife in a sinful way. Now, I I need to be honest and tell you that over the years, I've known very few men who struggle with being dominating in their leadership in their home. However, I can tell you of literally dozen after dozen after probably hundreds of men that I have talked to personally who struggle with what I like to call being docile or better yet passive is they're just naturally prone to just let their wife take care of business and guess what happens when a man struggles with passivity and you take a step back and you let your wife just be the leader if you have a wife with any degree of intelligence and any degree of giftedness, guess what she's going to do? Because she has the propensity to usurp, she's going to jump in and fill that leadership gap. And guess what? Men, it's your fault. It is not the woman's fault. Now, yes, she's sinfully usurping your authority, but you open the door for your wife to become the leader in your family, and the leader in your marriage. In our day, the rapid rise of evangelical feminism, or better described as egalitarianism, has caused great confusion in the home and in the church. And by the way, I just need to say personally, the the label of evangelical feminism is probably the most disturbing oxymoron I've ever heard in my life. Think about it. Evangelical feminism. It's kind of like jumbo shrimp, only much more offensive. 
Evangelical feminism, according to Wayne Grudem, is, quote, a new path by which evangelicals are being drawn into theological liberalism, close quote. Deep in the heart of this movement is the pressure for women to either compromise, downplay, or even denial, to deny male leadership both in the home and in the church. I, I must tell you that this phenomena that is described as evangelical feminism or egalitarianism is a clear departure from the authority of Scripture. Pastor of Capitol Hill Church in Washington, D.C., Mark Dever, warns, and when the authority of Scripture is undermined, the gospel will not long be acknowledged. That is why Wayne Grudem says that the path of evangelical feminism is a dangerous path. It is a path that leads to theological liberalism. It is a path that leads to a denial, ultimately, of the gospel. And so... We know this morning that everything rises and falls with leadership. Dave Kraft is noted as saying that a leader is a person who is dissatisfied with the way things are. He has a God-given burden, a vision to call to see something differently. He wants to see something change, to build a new future. He then begins to communicate what he thinks and where he wants to go. Close quote. So, blurry vision leads to blurry leadership. And know your glasses, there's nothing wrong with your glasses or contacts. Blurry vision leads to blurry leadership. Let me say, when leadership, when, when leadership is blurry in the home, when leadership is blurry in the church, horrible things begin to take place. And blurry leadership leads to unclear and undefined roles, which always result in chaos. It is very important to note, as we did in last week's message, that, that wives and husbands are equal. Wives and husbands are equal. They are equal in essence. They are equal in dignity. They are equal as image bearers of a holy God. But it is also vitally important that we recognize that men and women who are equal in these ways, please recognize that there is a distinction in, term, in terms of roles. And so the title of the message this morning as we focus in now with Paul on men is The Portrait of a Loving Leader. Men, if you are married this morning, buckle up. And get ready for a ride. Get ready for a challenge. And remember, you're not a goblet. You're a coffee thermos. For the men who are not yet married, for young men, high school students, or young men who are still single, men who are thinking about the prospect of marriage, you might be tempted to think, oh boy, here's a message from my dad. I can check out. I can play a game on my phone. Please don't do that. Because this message is for you as well. This message will help to equip you for a lifetime of ministry and a lifetime of marriage that honors the living God. Likewise, for young women who are not yet married and wish to be married, what you will find in this passage is a template for the kind of man you need to look for. And I'll say it now, and I may even say it later, if, if you are either ladies, young ladies, if you are dating a young man or a man, uh, 
And you see that he does not line up to the four qualifications that we see in this passage. I want to say to you as, as your pastor, I want to give you just some very basic biblical counsel. If the man or the young man that you're dating or intend to marry doesn't line up here, run. Run. Because it's not too late. It's not too late. In other words, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for third best. Settle for God's best. And so I want to ask this morning, what is the portrait of a loving leader? There are four things that I like to describe as brushstrokes. As we think about this, a, a beautiful painting. In a beautiful painting, what is required are a series, many, 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 but a series of brush strokes that, that form together to create this beautiful painting. I want you to see the first brush stroke in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22, or rather verses uh, 25. The first brush stroke is this, that the life of a godly leader, the life of a godly man is characterized by sacrificial love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to look at this brush stroke of love by making a few very important statements to men. Husbands, this is what you are called to do. You are called to love your wife. Many of you know that one of the Greek words for love is agapao. And this is the word here, agapao. It means to love with strong affection. It means to find joy in someone else. May I ask the men, does your wife know that you find joy in her? That you're a man who, who loves your wife? Colossians 3.19, Paul says it a little bit differently. He says, husbands, and this is an imperative again, I mind you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Man, how do you know if you're loving your wife in a way that God intends? Well, one way here is that you refuse to be harsh with them. And what does that mean? That means you're careful with your eyes. Did you know what you can do with your eyes? Did you know that some men with their eyes, they can bring a woman to tears? Did you know that with some men, and this is most men, that with their two hands, they can bring a, a woman who is compared to a delicate goblet? With their hands, they can bring a woman to tears? Did you know you can clench your fists and you can make a woman cry? Why? Because you're, you're dominating, you're intimidating her, you're intimidating her with your body language. And the Word of God says, men, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. But it's interesting because in verse 25, Paul goes even further. He says, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. So let me back up just for a minute and talk to the ladies. Last week, we gave a, a very strong challenge. It's, it, we call it a countercultural command. You remember the command for ladies in a marriage? Wives. What is it, Leona? I teased you about this the other day. What are wives to do with their husbands? Okay. Submit, right? So no one wants to use that word. Submit to your husband. And so the wives probably... I had several conversations last week and woo, it was interesting, Right? Really interesting. I wish, I told my wife, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. 
I wish I could have gone to lunch with you and heard some of the very good conversation and some of the very, I can't believe he said that conversation. I, I, I didn't say it. God said it, right? I'm just the messenger boy. God said it. So as difficult as it is for a a wife to submit to the leadership of her husband, to respect her husband, men, listen to this. Not only is your wife called to respect you, to submit to you, but your responsibility, I think, is far more challenging. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is an amazing turn of events in verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5.2, Paul says it again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so I ask, what does it mean... To be a a man who is committed to sacrificial love. What does it mean for a man to love his wife as Christ loves the church? Will you turn in your Bible over one book to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And we see a, a very interesting model of what that sacrificial love really looks like. Look at Philippians 2, 3. Paul the Apostle says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, a, a husband who manifests sacrificial love is a man who is selfless and humble. I can already hear the responses. Yeah, but, yeah, but she doesn't submit to my authority. It doesn't matter. The man is called to manifest sacrificial love. And one of the marks of sacrificial love is that he is a man committed to selflessness and humility. Move to verse 4. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul continues, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is, sacrificial love considers the needs of others. Verses 5 to 7. Having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you are a man who manifests sacrificial love, you will be servant-minded. I'm probably going to get myself in hot water on this one, but nothing bugs me more than when, when when a woman comes to me, and this has happened over the years many times, the woman comes to me and says, Pastor, my husband doesn't do anything. What do I do? And how do you think she responds to me when I say the word of God says to submit to your husband? She's like, how do I submit to that? He doesn't do anything. He's not selfless. He's not humble. And in the case of the wife, if your husband doesn't do anything, it is true. God's word still calls you to be submissive to his authority. But our focus this is more this morning is on the men. We're called to be sacrificial by being servant-minded. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul continues again. 
He says, and being found in human form, describing Jesus, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. If, men, you are to be a sacrificial lover, if you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church, you must be willing to die for your wife. You must be willing to die. Sacrificial love, you see, reflects the heart of God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. One of my favorite commentators, William Hendrickson, says this. He says, The true spirituality of a church leader is not measured best by how well he leads an elders meeting or by the way he speaks from the pulpit, but by the way he treats his wife and children at home when no one else is around. The man who plays the part of a spiritual shepherd in in a church but lacks love and care in his home is guilty of being a spiritual fraud. You see, you can be the greatest preacher, you can be the greatest teacher, you can be the greatest administrator or elder or deacon, but if in your privacy of your home you don't love your wife as Christ loves the church, the Bible says, and agrees with Hendrickson, you are a spiritual fraud. Many of you know the name B.B. Warfield, one of my heroes, of course. He was a man who taught during the good old days at Princeton Seminary. Those good old days are long gone now as Princeton is a liberal institution. But in the 19th century, B.B. Warfield was a man who was characterized by sacrificial love. He taught at Princeton for his whole career. He married his wife, Annie, in 1876, and for their honeymoon, they traveled to Leipzig, Germany, for uh, uh, several days of, 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 of being together as man and wife. However, on that trip to Western Europe, they were surprised by a thunderstorm while they were taking a hike in the mountains. Annie Warfield suffered a severe trauma that affected her immune system, a condition that basically rendered her an invalid. I want to ask you, men, can you imagine going on a honeymoon with your bride? And within days, she's an invalid. She can basically do nothing. Each year, it appears she became more and more incapacitated. I want you to know that B.B. Warfield stuck by his wife because he stood in a church and he looked his wife in the eye and he said, I come into a covenant until, help me, death do us part. What's a covenant? A covenant is binding. The marriage covenant is indissoluble. You can't wipe away a marriage covenant. So B.B. Warfield, he looked at his wife in the eye and he said, In sickness and in health, until death do us part. B.B. Warfield never left his wife for more than two hours at a time over the whole course of his life. He, he only left Princeton University one time in a ten-year period. He read to his wife for several hours each day because she couldn't even read a book. And as one writer says, though Warfield may have been known to many as a tenacious fighter, and he was, 
The compassion he directed toward his wife demonstrates a capacity for tenderness and caring that in its own right is quite remarkable. B.B. Warfield is an example of a man who loved his wife sacrificially. He kept the covenant. And I have heard stories of both men and women who get in a marriage and it gets really rough because of whatever. I'm done. B.B. Warfield kept the covenant. He maintained his oath to Annie and he loved his wife sacrificially. Look at the second brushstroke here in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Paul says, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Christ is the one here... In verses 26 and 27, he is the one who gave himself up for the church. He is our model of sanctifying love. It's interesting, that word gave comes from a Greek word that means to endure the loss of something. Jason read from Romans chapter 8 just a few moments ago. And it speaks of the loss that God incurred when he gave up his son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? One of the verses that has been the most meaningful over my Christian life is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. That says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and incurred loss. Who gave himself up for you and me. Again, in Ephesians 5, 2, Paul says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and incurred loss, gave himself up for us. Look deeper in the context here and ask yourself, why did he do this? Why did Jesus incur this loss? Why did he give himself up? Well, Paul says it's to to sanctify the church and to cleanse her. And the means is by the washing of the water and the word. He gives himself up to present the church to himself in splendor. Notice, without spot or wrinkle, so that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ came on a mission. His passion is a pure, a spotless, and a holy church. And so husbands, husbands, you are called upon, I am called upon to to love our wives with sanctifying love. As Christ gave himself up for the sanctification of his church, you too long to see your bride live in purity. Now, what does this sanctifying love look like? Let's, let's climb the ladder of abstraction. What's it look like in the real world? It looks like this. It means men is you pursue purity. Right? Is pornography is never again a part of your life. Never, never, never again. I met with a young man that does not attend Christ Fellowship several months ago. 
And I have met several men over the years like this. And I challenge these men to never, never, never again look at porn. You know what some of the men say? Some of the men say, Pastor, you're on. I'm so proud of those men because by God's grace, they live holy lives of the glory of God. But you know what other men say? Mm, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that. I can't make that commitment. Man, you have to make that commitment. If you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church, if you're to love your wife with a sanctifying love, you must be pursuing purity. You must be pursuing purity. How do you do it? You mortify the flesh by by putting on Christ-like qualities that the Word of God demands. Colossians chapter 3, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if a person has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive You must also forgive and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's a third brushstroke I want you to see that occurs in verses 28 to 30. Paul continues, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does his church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, you must love your wife with a supportive love. In the same way, which points back to Christ's sacrificial and sanctifying love for the church, you must love your wife as your own bodies. Now, this is a, a very interesting metaphor that Paul uses because... Men, you have all seen that dude in the gym, and some of you are that dude, right? You put that awesome tank top on, right? So the pecs just, right? I was going to model it for you this morning, but it, yeah, it just doesn't work very well with me, right? But you know that guy in the gym, and man, he's pumping iron, he goes and he looks in the mirror, yeah, right? What's Paul say? Is in the similar way, You ought to love your wife with that supportive love. What does it look like? Paul uses two words here. Two words, and the first is you nourish your wife. Here's what it means. It means you you provide for her needs. You, You feed her. You nurture her. You help bring her up in the faith. This is another area where I could get in hot water. But man, if your wife is discipling you, Men, you are the leader in your home. You are to be encouraging your wife and shepherding your wife and and helping your wife and nurturing her along. But Paul also says you're to cherish your wife. That comes from a Greek word that means to pay attention to her needs. It means to give her comfort and protection and security. I just want to try something and I, I promise, man, I didn't... I'm not in cahoots with the women. I just want to ask, women, how many of you are interested in a husband who provides for you and protects you and and takes care of your every need. Is anyone interested in a man like that? If you're a woman and you're not raising your hand, something's wrong. Because that is how God has wired you. You need a husband who cherishes you. 
John Piper says it like this, Men, let the measure of God's grace to you in the cross of Christ be the measure of your grace to your spouse. I want to have those words sink in because I'll never forget when I read that quote. It struck me in in deep and abiding ways. Let the measure of God's grace to you in the cross of Christ be the measure of your grace to your spouse. That is, the cross is your model. Man, if you're trying to figure out what does it mean to nourish my wife and cherish my wife, just look to the cross. That's how we do it. We nourish her. We cherish her. We provide for her needs. We protect her. Finally, the fourth brushstroke, which occurs in verse 31. Paul says, therefore, and he reaches back into Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Every couple that Jerrine and I have counseled, and man, I, I just saw Travis and Liz. It's so good to see you. And Travis and Liz would be the first to say, oh yeah, we remember, leave, cleave, and become one flesh. I mean, it's like, wow, it could be a country song. I say it so many times. Leave, cleave, and become one flesh. That's what we're called to. But the husband, his life must be marked by steadfast love. Look at this mark of steadfast love. Paul reaches back once again in Genesis 2.24, which stresses the marriage covenant, which is indissoluble, which can never be taken away. And he talks about cleaving or holding fast. Let me give an illustration. And if I had better uh, tools, I would probably have brought this illustration. Imagine a piece of wood and another piece of wood and Gorilla Glue. You know Gorilla Glue? That was a non What would you call it, Chris? Uh, I don't know how to do anything, basically, right? But I do know Gorilla Glue. What happens if you put a swath of that Gorilla Glue on one piece of wood? You slap that together, and, you know, I'm going to borrow Chris's tool. What's that thing called? The thing that holds them together? The clamp. That's it. I knew it was. You clamp those two pieces of wood together for 24 hours, and then my friend Kirk is going to come. He's one of the strongest people I know. And I'm going to say, Kirk, rip apart those two pieces of wood. How many do you think he could do it? He could do it. I know he could do it. But guess what? Those two pieces of wood will never be the same. Or you, can you visualize that? They will be splintered. They will be torn. So, I mean, it's going to be an ugly mess. That's what happens in a marriage relationship when you break covenant. Is you leave two people in a situation who are hurting and feel helpless and sometimes even hopeless. Paul says, men, you must be a man who is committed to steadfast love. How do you do it? You create a culture of security for your wife. You create a culture of security for your wife. Steve Farrar, and some of you are familiar with him, his first book, and I think it's probably his best book, was a book called Point Man. And it's filled with military metaphors, if you like those kinds of metaphors. But Steve Farrar said, A man's willingness to serve his wife and meet her needs will provide an environment and a stimulus for her to respond in submission to his leadership. So, man, if you're here and you say, My wife never submits to my leadership, my first question would be, Why? Have you been a man who has been a man who uh, uh, your wife joyfully submits to your leadership? 
Create a culture of security for your wife. Secondly, you assure her by your actions that you are committed to a lifetime of marriage. You are committed to a lifetime of marriage. And then finally, you, you embrace the motto of the United States Marine Corps. Semper Fidelis. Always faithful, regardless of personal convenience or happiness. Once again, B.B. Warfield, that great Princetonian theologian, is a tremendous example of a man who kept covenant with his wife. He assured her of his steadfast love for her. His actions convinced her that they were in it for the, for the long haul. They were in it to win it. Now notice with me in verse 33, and I must tell you, this is really another sermon, but we're going to move forward in the weeks ahead to Ephesians 6. But Paul provides a, a bit of a summary. It's almost as if he says, women, if, if you didn't get it in verses 22 through 24, I want to provide a summary. And men, if you didn't get it in verses 25 to, to 32, here it is. Here's the summary. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I know I promised that we would focus our attention on the men today, but I want to say one more thing to the women at Christ Fellowship. Did you know that there are many ways that a woman can hurt a man? Many ways. And you can, off the top of your head, you could just be in the catalog how you can hurt your man. Did you know at the very top of the list, the best way, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, you can hurt your man, the best way you can hurt your husband is by disrespecting him. And even greater so by disrespecting him publicly. Publicly. So women, let me encourage you to, to respect your husbands. I've said this many times to my wife, and I'll, I'll see it maybe in a television show, like one of those home shows from time to time we watch. And you'll see a woman the way she looks at her man, and you're like, wow. She's looking at him like, you're the man. Like, you're the best. Have you ever seen a, a woman look at a man like that? I see a few of you, few of the wives have that look on your face right now. You're like, you're not even looking at your husband. You're like, my husband is the man. I'm so proud of him. I love him so much. That's one way you can respect your husband. But husbands, notice Paul also says, let each of you love his wife as himself and hearken back to the verse 25 love your wives as Christ loves the church we look at these four brush jokes with me and we'll close a husband is called by a holy God to love his wife with a sacrificial love to love his wife with a sanctifying love to love his wife with a supportive love and to love his wife with a steadfast love and when these four components come together they create this beautiful portrait they create this beautiful painting because you're doing it in the way that honors God and men I need to tell you this if you commit yourself to these four brush strokes it doesn't matter who your wife is, she will joyfully follow your leadership. She will joyfully submit to your rightful role as leader in your home. 
You will imitate the very nature of God, Ephesians 5.1 says. And healthy churches, might I add, begin with healthy homes where husbands are loving their wives as Christ loves the church. Men, when you take part in these brushstrokes, you will walk in love as God demands. You will reflect the relationship between Jesus and his bride all to the glory of God. You will set an example for God-centered leadership in the church. And believe me, it will be a countercultural phenomenon. You will showcase the gospel. When men and women fulfill their God-ordained roles, namely for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church and for wives to respect their husbands, here's what they do. And this is what does it for me, friends, is it puts the glory of God on display. Men, when you love your wife as Christ loves the church, women, when when you respect the authority of your husband, it's as if you say, world, look at this beautiful, beautiful painting. And the painting is the glory of God. Now look at the opposite. When you fail to do that, men, when you fail to love your wife as Christ loves the church, when you fail to obey these brushstrokes of love, you communicate something different to this world about the glory of God. I want you to remember this morning that a Christ-saturated husband shows sacrificial love sanctifying love, supportive love, and steadfast love. Indeed, this is the portrait of a loving leader. And I want to leave you this morning with a ray of hope, because if if you're a man, if you're like me, and as I preach this text, please know, I don't have all this straight. I don't have it all right. Ask my wife. I don't get an A on every test. Sometimes I fail miserably, and I know sometimes you fail miserably. And so this is where we turn our attention to the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I know this doesn't sound really theologically erudite, but I'm a bum. I am a screw up. I'm a messed up man. Lord Jesus, would you enable me by your grace to draw a line in the sand? Will you enable me to show the the four brush strokes of love to my wife? And you know, men... It's not the kind of thing where you can commit to do it and do it today and be done with it. If you're 30 years old, it's going to take you 60 more years to figure it out, right? But you get on that gospel train, you get on that gospel train and the conductor's name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you commit yourself to obeying the authority of the conductor of that train, and where are you going? You're heading to the celestial city. And by God's grace and for his glory, you're going to obey. Are any of the men ready to get on that gospel train? Please? I need to pastor a black church, man. I need some response. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, but I, I want to leave you with hope this morning. May we as men get on that gospel train and trust the conductor and tell him all about our, our problems. Tell him all about the deep, dark sin in our lives. And may we, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us, confess our sin, receive forgiveness, and move forward in victory. All to the glory of God. And I promise you, your wives will be willing participants as you jump on the gospel train. All to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, what a challenge we have before us. 
What a challenge I have before me personally. And I thank you that you, you do not leave us in a position where we have no hope. We have hope because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope because the Spirit resides within every believer. That you prompt us to obey God. You prompt us to believe God. You prompt us to trust the promises of God. And so I pray today that there would be a handful of men, better yet, that there would be dozens of men in this place who would desire to obey you, God. That they would desire to participate and to obey these brushstrokes of love that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. And that marriages in this community would vividly display the glory of God. God, forgive us for the times that we have not done that. But I thank you that you leave us today with hope. You leave us with the gospel. You leave us with the cross work of your son. And so we're looking forward to the days ahead to see great things happen in our marriages, here in our midst, and even as more people come to this place, that they would be encouraged and equipped and admonished and that your glory would be evident here in this valley. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, if you are visiting with us today, uh, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to share in this with us. Um, this is.